Is this actually working now? Hello. Yes, it is. Good. So this set of slides has some uh, review in it because I think there's a couple things we have to review so we have a better understanding of what I'm going to move in here into here a bit short, shortly. So I just want to review some key things uh, in regards to. Why is it doing that? Is that in my eyes or is it actually doing that? No, it's doing that. It's it looks like, like Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you expect lines to go across. Yeah, so yeah. 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 That's right. Okay, so let's remember we have to go all the way back to bone. So we're going all the way back to bone. Uh, I did allude to a number of things when I talked about bone previously. We did talk about, uh, this is osteology part two. Yeah. Um, we did talk about bones prior. We talked about uh, classification, so it had to do with shape and size and all those sorts of things. Now we're going to get into a little more of the physiology of bone and the actual structure of bone from, shall we say, sort of a micro perspective or a micro microscopic perspective. We have to remember that when we look at the bone matrix, because remember that bone is a connective tissue. Have you guys taken that yet with Joe? Okay. So bone is a connective tissue. When we look at connective tissue as a definition, what we look at is, have you done, uh, you probably haven't done epithelial tissue yet either? So two major tissues we look at in AMP is epithelial and connective. Epithelial tissue, when we look at it, classify it, and try to get an idea of what it does and what it's responsible for, we actually look at the cells. So when we look at epithelial tissue, we look at the shape of cells, the, uh, the, the shape of cells, and the number of cells that we find in the tissue, and that tends to give us an indication of the kind of responsibility each type of epithelial tissue kind of gives. When we look at connective tissue, what we generally look at more than anything else is not cells, because generally, connective tissue does not have an abundance of cells in it as compared to epithelial tissue. But what connective tissue does have, it has a matrix, which is material that's other than cell, and it has fibers in it. So when we, when we look at uh, connective tissue, we determine the type of matrix that makes it up. And we also look at the fibers that we find in it. So that's when we start to talk about the matrix here. We do find cells in the matrix, but not near as many as much as we do in epithelial tissue. So, and I'll get back into the bone matrix on a bit later. So what we're saying is when we look at a bone under a microscope, we find four types of cells in the matrix. We have osteoprogenitor cells, which are said to be osteogenic, which means what? Well, they are bone, but something about originating. They create. Progenitor means to what? Procreate or create, right? So these osteoprogenitor cells go on to create other bone cells. We have osteoblasts. A blast is something that creates. Okay, so. We'll be talking about what an osteoblast helps create in the creation of bone tissue. The other cell that we find is an osteocyte. And when we look at tissues and we talk about a site, the site sort of maintains the health of the tissue. And then in bone, we have something called an osteoclast. And a clast breaks down 
bone tissue. Well, it dissolves it, if you want to say, for lack of a better word. It actually breaks down bone tissue to some degree. So let's talk about osteoprogenitor cells first. As I said, they go on to create these other cells, so therefore they're said to be unspecialized, whereas the other three I just mentioned are specialized. They do derive from mesenchyme. If we remember, mesenchyme is an undifferentiated connective or mesenchyme tissue, and all connective tissue is derived from these cells in the mesenchyme. So from the mesenchyme, we have a small specialization into a osteoprogenitor cell. Uh, the osteoprogenitor cell, if the requirement is there to create matrix, in other words, to create bone, the osteoprogenitor cells will become osteoblasts. We tend to find these osteoprogenitor cells in the inner portion of the periosteum. Everybody remember that where that is? Where's the periosteum? Oh, what is the periosteum? Sorry? It does? I got it called bone skin because it, it's really that, that strongly attached to the bone itself. So when you look at a hard bone, you, you, you have the picture there was a skin around that that was really stuck to it. And it, it's sort of the, it, there's a lot of activity that ha happens in that periosteum. So they, these osteoprogenitor cells are found in the inner portion of the periosteum. The endosteum, where is that? This might be a good review for you guys for your chest. It's the skin on the, in, inside the medullary cavity. So we have a skin on the outside, the periosteum, and we have a skin that lines the medullary cavity known as the endosteum. And in the canals that contain blood vessels, we're going to be learning that a little bit later on, there, there are small canals that do run through bone tissue, and within those canals we do find blood vessels. So you sort of see them here aggregated in the, in the diagram, or in the, in the photograph. The second are osteoblasts. So we said that osteoprogenitor cells can differentiate into osteoblasts. Blast, remember, means to form. So osteoblasts are cells that form bone. They have lost the ability to divide, and generally what they secrete is collagen. Remember I said that when we look at connective tissue, we look at the matrix and we look at the, the fibers that we find in the matrix, well, one of those fibers is collagen. So we, find, we can find three types of fibers in connective tissue. We can find collagen, we can find elastic fibers, and we can find reticular fibers. All of them play different roles, uh, but collagen is one. So when this cell is creating bony matrix, it is in fact actually secreting collagen in, in terms of recreating bone. So we see here that uh, here are the osteoblasts here. They're secreting in this diagram here, the orange matrix, developing bone. We also see in this case of bone development, the yellow represents osteoblasts that are forming bone as they, uh, as they secrete this matrix. And the green are the next cell we're going to talk about, which is dissolving the matrix. Or not the next one we talk about, but the, the fourth one. The osteocyte, so we had, we had mesenchyme, that differentiated into osteoprogenitor cells. Osteoprogenitor cells could then specialize into osteoblasts, which are responsible for forming the matrix of the bone. Osteoblasts 
secrete collagen, as I said. And what they do is they actually surround themselves completely in the matrix. Once they do, they stop secreting it and they further specialize into an osteocyte. And an osteocyte is considered to be a mature bone cell. So we can say that it's a mature bone cell that derived from the osteoblast. So the osteoblast is surrounding itself in matrix. Once it's surrounded itself, it then re-specializes into the osteocyte. And it is the principal cell of bone tissue. It has no mitotic potential, which means what? Or replicate or divide. It doesn't divide, right? It doesn't divide. Uh, it is found on the surface of the bone. One, as I said, and once surrounded by a bone matrix, they become osteocytes. When they, and that, so an osteoblast secretes the matrix via collagen. The osteocyte no longer secretes anything. It's just an active cell that keeps the bone healthy and, and helps maintain its metabolic needs. Osteoblasts form bone tissue. Osteocytes maintain cellular activities of bone. Any questions? Yes, correct. Right. We're going to talk a whole lot about bone formation later on, but understand that the blast again surrounds itself by a matrix. Once it does, converts to osteocyte. The osteocyte no longer secretes this matrix or these collagen fibers and it just maintains the, the, the bone that it, it kind of surrounds. So we see here uh, these osteoblasts that were forming matrix differentiated into these osteocytes and these fellows are all surrounded by the matrix that they, see, they created. So in other words, uh, an osteoblast actually buries itself in matrix and then converts into an osteocyte. The fourth is the osteoclast. This also is found on the surface of bone, and this is all about bone resorption. So this guy breaks down bone tissue. It is used in development, growth, maintenance, and repair. So there's a disease with bone. What, anybody guess which one I'm talking about? Tends to affect women more than men, and we find it in the elderly. Osteoporosis. What is osteoporosis? Fundamental. The brittle bones. So what, what's happened to the bone? What's missing? Calcium. Calcium. Right? So this is calcium. So the other thing that bone is responsible for is the osteoclasts also release calcium to help maintain calcium homeostasis in the body. So ultimately what's happening is you young ladies right now, you're, you're in a balanced state of homeostasis where you are storing calcium and also using calcium at an equal rate. So calcium is a, is a very important um, compound the body uses for a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, and when you get extra calcium, you store it in bone. I mean, sometimes if you're lacking calcium, the osteoclasts dissolve the bone, shall we say, thus releasing calcium for the needs of the body. When we get into a state of osteoporosis, what's happening is your body is sucking more calcium out of the bone than can be deposited, and therefore the bones become brittle and full of holes and so forth. So any idea what some of the research says? 
is one of the worst things for stripping you of calcium. Ladies, especially. So this is an osteoclast, so it obviously secretes enzymes that break down bone tissue, thus releasing it. I'm going to talk a lot about how bone is made coming up, and we'll, we'll come, kind of come back to this to some degree. So I said that connective tissue is about the matrix, and that doesn't mean I bend backwards when someone's shooting bullets at me. No. I did, yeah, that's right. I got the big one. They've been playing it on TV lately. <laughs> um, so the matrix contains mineral salts. So that is one of the unique things that makes bone bone, that makes bone hard, is that there are salts in bone. 
Because if I said to you initially, what is, what, give me an example of connective tissue, what would you say? Do you have any idea of connective tissue? Anything. Right? Uh, something, something of, blood is a connective tissue as well, but it's an odd connective tissue. Something a little more common that you might think of as connective tissue. Sorry? Ligaments? Tendons, right? So soft, correct? Soft. That's what I'm trying to get at, right? Ligaments are strong, but they're still soft, correct? So bone is unique as a connective tissue because it's hard. Now, what happened? Because we said that osteoblasts secrete collagen. And is collagen usually hard or soft? What would you think? Soft. Sure. That's why ladies inject it in their lips. Right? Not me. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why, that's why ladies who have worked on their makeup for their lips are injected with collagen. What's injected? Usually, you take it out of your bum and put it in your lips. I mean, I don't do it. I mean, so, in other words, when bones, when bones starts out being made, it's soft. Okay, so if an osteoblast is secreting collagen, initially, bone is soft. So, something must happen that the soft connective tissue components of this secreted matrix become impregnated with salts that makes bone hard. Alright, so, the matrix contains abundant mineral salts. The most of them are something called tricalcium phosphate or hydroxyapatite. There is also something called calcium carbonate. Now what's interesting is that most, what most people take as a supplement for osteoporosis is calcium carbonate. So calcium carbonate generally comes from crushed oyster shells. So generally speaking, most uh, supplements, are, they crush oyster cells and that's what you swallow. And it does help to some degree, but the more, the, the more benefit is you need those and magnesium together in order to create an appropriate amount of calcium in the bone. But the majority of, of what we find in bone is tricalcium phosphate. As these salts are deposited in the bone framework, crystallization occurs and the tissue hardens. So in other words, the osteoblast has created a connective tissue, soft tissue of collagen fibers, and then the, that tissue becomes slowly more and more impregnated with these salts, which makes it harder and harder and harder. This is known as calcification or mineralization as this connective tissue gets more and more mineralized. The collagen fibers are necessary or the bone would be brittle. In other words, the collagen provides tensile strength. I think I've talked to you about this in the past. What is tensile strength? What is tensile strength? Tension, but not that kind of tension. But like it's to make something more stable if it hardens? Like or like it 
So let's, let, okay, let, let's, let's, let's extrapolate this so we can come to the answer. So, I'm putting salts in this bone. If I continue to impregnate bone with salts, what's the potential of, a negative potential that can happen as this tissue becomes more and more calcified? Not break down. Kind of right down. Down. Maybe, so it gets to no. Uh, it gets to. Okay, so if I mix sugar and butter, brittle. Yeah, and then I put peanuts in, it's too hard. It becomes <laughs> brittle and shatters. So if I continue to take this soft matrix, impregnate it more and more and more, and make it just solid tricalcium phosphate, it then becomes brittle, which means that. It can't react to forces as well as if it can do what? Just a little bit. And just a little bit. So tensile strength is about giving some give to it. I think the reason for this guy said, is it this group I talked about, the CN Tower? Yeah. So if you go up to the top, next time you're there, you will see on the wall that there's a box with four, four squares and a dot, okay? And the dot, depending on the day, and I was there on a very windy day, the dot was way over here in the corner. In other words, the CN Tower was like this, and it has to be, because if it didn't have tensile strength and a wind came along, it would just snap and fall over. So your bones are exactly the same way, and the collagen fibers give you that. It allows some reaction to stresses which doesn't allow for the bone to break. But bones do break. So what's happened if I break a bone? It hurts. <laughs> why did it break? No, why did it break? Sorry? Uh, yeah, I took it and the tensile strength held on for so long and then all of a sudden the force becomes so great it can't deal with the force anymore and it loses integrity and it snaps. Right? So it's the same number I talked about um, uh, uh, mechanism of injury, and I talk about forces on tendons and that kind of stuff. I talked to you guys about that. Yeah. So when you know someone breaks an ankle, what's happened is a force has been placed on the bone in, in a particular direction that where the bone isn't likely quite as tensile, and is forced the bone into a bend that it, that it fractures. So this is why we have common fractures to certain things because we apply. So anybody here broken their Radius and only here by the wrist. I think so. Yeah, snowboarders. Must be some snowboarders in the house. Do you snowboard? No, yeah. I fell. Any snowboarders? <laughs> okay. Did you ever break your wrist yet? No. You will. I had a lot of people back in the day that they would always land and they'd end up in a cast. Yeah, great. Yeah. Okay, it's called a Coley's fracture. The the true the, 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 the most common mechanism mechanism of injury because it happens in the winter time is you slip. If you go up in the air, you reach back, okay? You lock your elbow, you lock your wrist, exactly, and you fall back, and the only give is the force gets so big that the only thing that happens is the radius and all of the go. Happens very often in, in snowboarding, because the only force goes out, you reach back, it's your reaction just to reach back and try to catch yourself, and it's called a cool fracture. That's what it is common. So, um, it is about forces. So we need, we need, ultimately we need this calcium to make it tensile. So we can see here, uh, 
this diagram that sort of, sort of shows spongy bone, but you get the idea of its makeup. And then within the context here, we think of all these collagen fibers and everything becomes calcified. I think I sometimes talk, it doesn't sound like you do anymore in, in uh, science even in elementary school, uh, but back in the day when I was a kid, uh, you would, what the experiment was, you would take a jar of vinegar and you'd drop an egg. Yeah. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. And then you like, pull the egg out. Or the egg out. Like jelly. jelly, right? It was I soft. I used to try and bounce it off yeah. the wall. Okay. So guess what you did to the egg? The egg shell is connective tissue that's impregnated with calcium. Okay? You put it in vinegar, you dissolved all the calcium, and the reason the egg was rubbery is all you had was the secreted matrix of collagen. Your bones are exactly the same. So there are conditions where you don't have enough calcium and your bones become soft. We know it as rickets. It's a lack of vitamin D. And what happens is the bones start going back to a more connective tissue state and you become bow-legged because the weight of your body starts to push down on these soft bones and they just start to bend. Very common, what's that? Well, this kind of would be over here, yes. This is a little bit different. This is the trabeculae. We'll get back to that later. But this is sort of a microscopic view of this lay down. And um, you get, yes. And if you would have to get in, into this to see the collagen fibers that aren't impregnated. So the thing to remember, the takeaway for a bit later is bone is alive. Right? It's not dead tissue. So whenever you see a bone, in the butcher shop, we have roast beef with a bone on it, or my case of bones here that I bring, those are dead. So we tend to have this feeling that you know, bones are hard and fairly brittle or whatever. That's because they're dead bones. A live bone is still hard, but there is some slight bend to it. But it has got cells in it, so therefore it needs lots of things to keep alive because it needs to be maintained for metabolic purposes. Okay, so we had osteoblasts. Osteocytes, osteoclasts, right? So let's talk at the types of bones that these cells actually create. And there are two kinds. There is compact bone. This is review two, yes? I believe, yeah. So compact bone, if you remember, it's dense bone. It has very few spaces in its makeup. It is the external layer of all bones. So we look on the outside, we do see compact bone. It also makes up the diaphysis or shaft of long bones, right? It's the other layer of, inner layer of your skull. Uh, it helps provide support for strength, and as I say, it's the bulk of the diaphysis that we see here. So, what does compact bone look like? You can see here, to some degree, it is a concentric circle configuration. Sorry. Sorry, That's a Yeah? So, a concentric ring structure, it has blood vessels, lymph vessels, and nerves and they penetrate these concentric ring structures via a canal known as Volkmann's canal. Okay, Volkmann's canal. These connect with vessels and nerves of the medullary cavity and those of the central canals, the haversian canals. So,
if I were to say these concentric circles okay and then I took this concentric circle kind of did this with it okay we could say that this concentric circle configuration is perforated by Volkmann's canals. So actually I should do this probably. Okay. Is perforated by these Volkmann's canals that allow blood vessels into the concentric circle thing uh, configuration and that they connect with vessels and nerves of the medullary cavity and those of the central canals. So this is the central canal. When we look at the top or the bottom of these concentric ring configurations. So that would mean that there must be a blood vessel that kind of runs through to down here, and that these vessels that are found in the Volkmann's canals actually attach to, I should probably keep it solid just so you guys can see it, so it's not too confusing. These blood vessels run into the central canals, all right? So in other words, we have all these canals that are help maintaining the health of this live bone tissue. So I'll repeat, it is a concentric ring structure. Blood vessels, lymph vessels, and nerves penetrate through the perforating Volkmann's canals, which are these guys, Volkmann's canals. And then they connect with vessels and nerves of the medullary cavity and those of the central or the perversion canals. The central canals run longitudinally through the bone. All right, so far so good? Correct. Yes, that's correct. So if I go back to the diagram here, you can see all the circles with a blood vessel in the middle of it. Right? So those red dots are blood vessels that are running through the center of the circle of the concentric ring configuration. Okay? So in other words, everywhere you see one of these, this is a central canal. Cutting through those canals, you can see it kind of cut away here a little bit. We have, through these Vulcan canals, we have vessels that are running through the major artery and the vein and so forth. It runs through the central canal. So far, so good? Okay. Here's where it gets a little bit funky. Okay. So, around these canals, and uh, around these canals, we find concentric lamellae. Okay? So we see them here concentric lamellae. The lamellae are rings of hard matrix. In other words, when we look at this guy, uh, this, this, and this are all lamellae. Okay? So each one of these concentric rings is called a lamellae. So central canals run longitudinally through the bone, and around these canals we find concentric lamellae and the lamellae are basically the rings of hard matrix. So in other words, they were originally soft uh, 
tissue or connective tissue of collagen created by the osteoblast, which then became impregnated with these salts and they're in a ring formation and these rings are known as lamellae, which we see here. We do have two different kinds. When they are in the circle like this, they are called concentric lamellae. That makes sense, right? Concentric ring configuration. We call them concentric lamellae. Now, do circles and circles and circles fit? They can't, right? So I do a circle and a circle and a circle and a circle and a circle. We've got spaces between, yes? And then they're all encased in compact bone to some degree. There's a problem with that. We need to fill these in. So we do find what are called circumferential lamellae, which sort of fill in all the little spaces which make it all solid so there's no bones there. Everybody kind of follow me on that? Okay, so we've got concentric lamellae, which make up the, this, this, this concentric configuration, and we have circumferential uh, that sort of fill things in. So here we are. Here is the ring of lamellae in the concentric formation. Centrally in the middle of the rings is the haversian canal. And perpendicularly cutting through these concentric rings are the Volkmann's canals. And we can see how we have a Volkmann's canal here, another one here, another one here. And we get this all sort of connected canal system that is running through all this bone tissue. So far, so good. A lot going on here, right, for our tissue that is just kind of hard. All right. This is another picture that shows you your central canal here with your Volkmann's canals here and then the concentric ring formation. Between the lamellae are small spaces called lacunae. Okay, here we go. Why? Why do they all sound the same? <laughs> so, if I take these rings and let's just do this. We're saying between the lamellae are small spaces known as lacunae. All right. Within the lacunae, this is where we find the osteocytes. So within here, let's give them a little nucleus so you know it's a cell. This is where we find the osteocytes. Remember, the osteocytes initially were osteoblasts. So when they were blasts, they secreted collagen and surrounded themselves in matrix. Then the matrix becomes mineralized or hard. 
So remember, so therefore, each of these green osteocytes are showing you themselves embedded and surrounded by matrix and then therefore the mineralized bone. Radiating from the lacunae are very small canals called canaliculi. Yeah, I know. Okay, so we have these tiny little canals that are radiating out. These little canals are called canaliculi. Okay? These are filled with cellular fluid. Inside are finger-like processes of the osteocytes. So these projections radiate out from the osteocytes within these canaliculi. small canals that allow these finger-like projections from these osteocytes. The canaliculi connect lacunae with one another. Okay, so I could, I am trying not to make this too complicated for you, um, but we could in essence say, you know, that this is to some degree Right, another lacunae here. So I could, oh, let's see if I can do this real quick. And here I could put more cells. happening, yeah? Okay, you can see that what's happening through all of these, we're getting all these interconnections of all these osteocytes together. So although an osteocyte has surrounded itself with matrix and it's embedded in it, it is via the canaliculi canals and the extensions of the osteocytes that they're not alone. They actually interconnect and speak with each other. Yes? Does it go like even more further Oh yeah, on and on and on and on and on. I'll show you some pictures here in a second. Now wait, this, that is Every single ring, layer of the ring, every single lacuna. In the ring. Yep, in the ring. Lamella into the ring. The lamella. So I could. Space between the rings. 
Yeah, so I could, I could put little dots here, right? That would represent those osteocytes, right? Between each one. So each of these dots represents an osteocyte. And then via the canaliculi, we have all these networks that are occurring all over the place. So the cells are talking to each other, all via these extensions along the canaliculi. Okay, so the canaliculi then connect lacunae with one another. Therefore, there is a canal system throughout bone which allows nutrients and oxygen to reach osteocytes. Right, this vast network of canals. Each central canal, each central canal with its surrounding lamellae, lacunae, osteocytes, and canaliculi is called an osteon or an aversion system. Did I lose you? All of those things together central canal, lamellae, canaliculi, lacunae together form an osteon. In other words, I got more pictures ahead. Let's go back for a second. Every one of these circles is an osteon. So you've got lamellae, see all the dots? Now what are all those dots? They're all the little tiny dots, what are those? Sorry? No, the blood vessels are the right ones. The tiny, tiny little dots, what's those? The cuny and then there's little dots are? Osteocytes. Oh, okay, so within each of these rings, all these little tiny dots are osteocytes. Even smaller and hair-like are all the canaliculi that all the extensions of each of these little dots. In other words, all these dots are all talking to each other via these tiny, tiny, tiny little canals through these extensions of these osteocytes. And they're configured in such a way they relate to each other in a concentric circle, concentric circle, concentric circle, concentric circle, and so forth, keeping them all separate from each other, but again, all connected at the same time. So, can, I don't know if you just said this, but I So, can the circles talk to the other circles? Yes. Okay. Yes, they can. So, let's go, so we can see it here as well. Okay. See in this diagram, here we've because we also have to think three-dimensionally, right? You're just looking at a circle on the top. Remember, those, those uh, osteons, they travel down the length of the bone. So I got a femur. I'll have osteons that will run from one epiphysis to the other, because remember, we're talking compact bone here. This is a spongy bone. So if I tell you, and I've said in the past, that all of your diaphysis is compact bone, that would mean that there are osteons that are running from one epiphysis to, to the other down the entire length of that femur. Yes? Does it run like, let's say like this? Yeah. Or do they run like this? No. Or like this? They do like this. Why? It's a good question. It's a good question. Think about it from a mechanical sense. Why? Is there pressure? Yeah. Right. Precisely. So if I'm putting weight on a femur, and a femur's carrying weight from top to bottom, then I want those osteons running parallel to that vector of force, right? Which makes them much more stronger. In other words, how many people here can crack an egg on the end? 
on the ends. It's almost impossible because the configuration of the calcium in the egg runs from end to end. So that's why we crack an egg in the center because that's its weaker point. It's so easy to crack that way. So anybody here can take an egg at the, at the midsection, right? And go and crack an egg, no problem. Try to crack an egg with your fingers this way, you can't do it. And you know why it's made that way? Because when mummy drops it out, the tip lands on the, on the, on the nest and then falls away. Structure governance function. So, we see here in the microscopic view, here is your lamellae, right? Here is the central canal here on the, on the left. This is your lacunae. Remember, um, a lacunae contains an osteocyte. That's a thing to take away. So a lacunae is a space between the concentric rings, which allows for the osteocyte to live there. Is all of it system? Correct. No, uh, no. Canal is a canal. Is that Yeah. So this what I have over here. This would be an osteon or a haversion system. That's why the central canal is also known as a haversion canal because it runs from the top to the bottom of the whole ring system from its whole length, with branches heading in and out along the Volkmann's canals all the way through. So you can see here in this diagram microscopically, all these dark lines are extensions of the osteocyte. The thing to remember is because it's hard bone, they are running through the what? Cantilever. Speak to each other. And you can see how they're all talking to each other here. You know, they're all interconnected, having a conversation metabolically with each other to help maintain all the bone tissue to stay alive. Yeah, yeah. Here is a drawing that shows it to you as well. Here we have our central canal here. We have all our lamellae, lacunae, canaliculi, and so forth. And this whole entire ring is known as an osteo. Questions? Fascinating, don't think about it, right? When all you do is see a bone that's hard, because your, your naked eye can't see this configuration when you look at a bone. This is like a solid piece of bone, right? Look like anything, but all this is going on. Here's another picture, it's a microscopic picture. Here are your canaliculi here at dark, and this really shows you a lovely view of just how interconnected all of these osteocytes are. So the large ones are the lacunae, which contain the osteocyte, the canaliculi are the tiny canals, which allow these extensions of the osteocyte so that all these osteocytes can speak to each other. Biochemicals via these extensions. Any questions? Sure. Another drawing here that kind of shows the configuration as well, and it does show you quite nicely how uh, how you know you've got a whole bunch of these rings all throughout this compact bone. Shows you the lovely canals here, the version or central canals, and then your Volkmans are perforating. They're also called perforating uh, because they do perforate through the rings. And you see this vast network of, of uh, blood supply and nerve supply. You also get this vast network of communication between the cells. So ultimately, 
all the metabolic needs of the bone are met via this whole sort of configuration and relationship of the, of the cells. With that? Over here? Yeah, they're the ones, so if I were to take a periosteum and peel it off the bone, it actually would rip like material. You'd actually hear bone. And the Sharpie's fibers are what hold the, yeah, the Sharpie's fibers hold it onto the bone, right? So remember, yes, this is alive, but out here, the skin, the periosteum, right, it's active. So there's a bit of a difference between being alive and being active, right? So at the periosteal level, <coughs> you know, you've got um, you've got all these cells. You've got you know uh, you've got in some cases osteoblastocytes that are you know breaking down or building up bone tissue, laying down calcium into the bone because you don't need too much calcium. Right? Uh, homeostatically, you've got to store calcium. If you've got too much, we store calcium in bones. So we're always laying more calcium into bone if we have too much, and we're always withdrawing it from the bank if we need it to maintain our calcium levels in our in our body depending on what we eat and what work to that's compact bone now the next one is spongy bone spongy bone is different than compact bone and again this is some review and some new uh, remembering uh, what did I like in the spongy bone too what did I get into Sponge softening, right? So when we look at this cancellus or spongy bone, it differs in microscopic structure when we look at, as compared to compact, that nine should be a uh, bracket, I'm sorry about that. But spongy bone does not have an aversion system. In other words, you don't find osteons in spongy bone. You only find osteons on in compact Instead, what we find in spongy bone are needle-like spicules called trabeculae. Okay? If within the trabeculae, we do find bone cells. So we do find osteocytes in trabeculae. It's alive too, and it's a, it needs to be dealt with. Nutrients are delivered and waste products are removed by diffusion through tiny canaliculi that extend to the surface of the spicules. So whereas we had to have a bone cell network to get things around to compact bone because of how compact it is, because spongy bone is more spacey, uh, we don't need as vast a network because we have a lot of exposed surface area in spongy bone, so the spicules actually open up into the surface of, of the uh, trabeculae itself so any, any of the blood material and so forth can go into the bone because it has an open surface for it to enter into. When we look at flat bone, we can see that spongy bone is sandwiched between two layers of compact bone as we did in the skull plates. And I believe back when I was, did the, the lecture some time ago, I did show and you could see that you know, it almost looks like you have two hard layers with the spongy bone in between. Yes. Yes, so that the, the canaliculi would go deep into, because the, the osteocytes are deep into the trabeculae, so they would have extensions out to the surface, so things that exit and enter out those surfaces, whereas in compact bone, it may have to travel between all of you in this room who have your hands out touching each other, 
something that we need to get to the outer edge to disappear, we travel throughout the, around all the, all the cells that we've got. Uh, so we see here, this is uh, trabeculate here. We get a sense of it. In the diaphysis, we do find sometimes some cancellous or spongy bone here with the majority of it being this compact bone. We see here in the proximal femur, here we have the head that would make up the hip joint. And then as a, th this would be the epiphysis traveling down into the diaphysis. As you go more proximal to the diaphysis, you can see that the compact bone is becoming more and more significant in how much it represents of the diaphysis because it's so much stronger. So when I asked this, I believe at the beginning of this course, why spongy bone? Why not just have everything compact bone? Be too heavy, yeah. It would be too heavy for, for one, one purpose for sure. So we can see here that you know the majority of the epiphysis in the femur is, is it's got a candy coating of compact bone with uh, the inside being uh, the majority of uh, spongy bone. So this gives you an example of all of the both of them together. So it's sort of showing a diaphysis where on in, in the um, medullary cavity, we do find some small amount of, of spongy bone with the majority of course being of the diaphysis being compact bone. So you can see all the trabeculae here that making up the spongy bone little circles of the osteons or the aversion systems, and then you've got some, you know, your networks here of your, of your various canals. The placement of trabeculae, when you look at it, seems relatively unorganized. Uh, it just looks like it's you know, just kind of laid out in, in, in a relationship type of way. And maybe random, but what happens is they're actually arranged along lines of stress. So they tend to develop against stress that's traveling through the spongy bone area. So therefore, we can say their orientation will differ between individual bones according to the nature and the magnitude of the load, the load that's placed, placed on this area of spongy bone. Uh, obviously, having them laid down against the forces of, or the vectors of force makes the bone light yet strong, which is what we want. We want the bone to still be relatively strong. Arteries that supply the bone marrow in the medullary cavity provide nutrients to the spongy bone. Spongy bone is light. Trabeculae support and protect red bone marrow. So we find white marrow or fatty marrow in the diaphysis, but where we see heavy amounts of spongy bone, such as the epiphyses of the femur, uh, the sternum, those sorts of things, we find a large amount of red marrow, and red marrow is where we produce red blood cells through hemopoiesis. So the trabeculae support and protect the red bone marrow, the spongy bone in the hip bones, into the bodies of the vertebra, and the ends of long bones are the only sites of red marrow, and therefore the site of hemopoiesis, or red blood cell creation, in adults. So it is in these, anybody here done a, had their um, matching done for bone marrow transplant? So what they'll do is they stick needles into these areas and they suck out bone marrow. And then that's what they give someone who's had, uh, uh, had issues with uh, leukemias and those sorts of things. They actually irradiate them and kill all the bone marrow in their body. And then they inject fresh new bone marrow that then proliferates through all the spongy bone in the sick individual. And the hope is that this new red marrow won't have um, the, uh, the influence of, of cancer in order to produce uh, red blood cells that are viable and blood that's 
viable, and it works quite often. Sometimes that's been a couple times to work properly. I worked with an internal medicine physician who had to have it done, and uh, after two sessions, he had to have a second session. He ended up dying of a heart attack. Like many years later, the reason he had the heart attack was because of all the radiation he had because of his anemia. It scarred his heart, he ended up with, with having a heart attack. So we see here um, the configuration, the lines of stress at the head of the femur. So each of these lines, it's kind of a, a, a vector drawing, each of these lines represents lines of force that travel through the femur when the femur is being used in normal human function. In other words, when we have a look at the lines of force, we can determine that the trabeculae will lay down against those lines of force in its configuration. And to some degree, you can kind of see it here in this drawing as to how there's a bit of a pattern here in these trabeculae to meet said forces that travel in and around and through the head of the femur. Do you notice a bit of a slowing down? 